Morning, church. It caught me off guard. Sorry about that. How you doing? <laughs> Good. There was a, a pastor who uh, was talking on generosity, which, by the way, uh, this month is Legacy Month, as Greg mentioned. And over the next uh, few weeks, we're going to talk about generosity. Uh, and then we will be describing more to you what the legacy offering looks like. But what that is, is an annual one-time gift where we just ask our people to just go all in and pray uh, about what the Lord wants them to give. Um, and so we promote that back in children's ministry and we promote that here. Uh, we see several offerings throughout scripture. The tithe is the 10% that we just bring out of obedience. But then there's this, this sacrificial gift where we just give believing and trusting God uh, as we sow that seed. So we'll be talking more about that. But there was a pastor talking about uh, generosity, a, a friend that I've, I've heard this story, and their church was kind of in need, and they needed some extra money. And so he was kind of challenging his congregation just to give a little bit more, be a little more generous. And he said, uh, you know, today, whoever gives the most in the offering, I'm going to let you pick you know, three hymns. And of course, you know, they pass the containers, the buckets, and uh, the money comes up and the pastor looks in the containers and he sees a hundred dollar bill, which was a big deal for this, this church. And he was like, who gave the hundred? Who gave the hundred? Come on up. And from the back of the room, this sweet, elderly, saintly woman stands up and begins to make her way uh, to the front. And and he said, I, I'm so grateful that you gave $100. You get to pick three hymns. She looked out of the audience and said, I'll take him and him and him. <laughs> Generosity. We won't be manipulating you to give. We won't be offering three hymns or three hers. But I do want to communicate to you the nature of God. Because it is in the nature of God to be generous in everything that he does. He's more than enough. He isn't calculated in his resources uh, to where he, he keeps them to himself, afraid that he's going to run out. In fact, he's quite impulsive with releasing his blessings over his sons and his daughters. I, I believe personally that he stands open-handed before the nations today wanting desperately to release abundance over the world that he so desperately loves. So today, I hope to communicate in the time that I have uh, the generous nature of God. Father, we come before you today. God, I thank you for who you are and what you've done in the service. I thank you, God, for the presence that we've already felt. I ask that your word would come alive in our heart today. In Jesus' name, I pray, let the church say... Amen. Amen. The title of my sermon today is Generous Presence. Generous Presence. Someone on my team asked me, what does generous presence even mean? Well, I'm going to explain that throughout the sermon today. But in this series, my goal is to approach the subject of generosity from an angle that changes everything. In my life, it's changed everything in my perspective, in my thoughts, and I hope to communicate that to you. 
Now, there are two extremes about generosity that I'm not going to address in this series, but I want to tell them to you right now, okay? One extreme of generosity uh, is this thing that is not new to the church, by the way. It's been around for quite some time. The name of it has somehow uh, or somewhat become a bad word to the church, Um, and I'll let you make those decisions on if you think it's a bad name or not, but the name is Prosperity Gospel. Anyone heard of the term Prosperity Gospel? Okay, a few of you. Many of you are just afraid to raise your hand because you don't know where I'm going next. You're afraid I'm going to trick you, right? The Prosperity Gospel uh, would be, for those that haven't heard and you're not familiar, it would be this framework that as a believer in Jesus, prosperity is ours. But it doesn't stop there. Prosperity, prosperity gospel would lean into us collecting and achieving and receiving incredible things for our own good. Okay, so the best of the best uh, cars, the, be- the, the biggest homes, um, whatever that looks like. Prosperity gospel gets a bad name because there are some people who push the prosperity message of Jesus without leveraging that and and teaching people that we're also called to suffer for Christ, right? The prosperity gospel is is way over there. Uh, The goal, I suppose, is bigger diamonds, fatter wallets, more extravagant homes, and um, the end is so that you can enjoy yourself and let the world know how blessed you are. Now, just so you know where I stand, I'm not about that. I'm not about that framework or that belief system, but I do believe um, that if you want more resource, if you want to be blessed more so that you can be a blessing to others, I believe that's biblical. Come on, somebody. I need you to help me preach this sermon, okay? I, I know this is not the first time you've heard it. You're not afraid of money today, okay? If you want to be a blessing to others, if you will allow yourself to be a conduit rather than a reservoir, God will bless you, right? God brings provision for the vision, right? Provision in favor of the vision. You need more resource in your life. The the first thing you need to do is get more vision for your life. More vision attracts, attracts provision. And God will bless your socks off so that you can be a blessing to other people. And when you have that motivation, Tim, he will bless your socks off just so you're barefoot. For no other reason, but just because you've been trustworthy, you've been committed, and you've been faithful. Can I get a good amen from somebody who doesn't get upset when somebody else gets theirs? That's another message, though. I do support that. I do believe that in the gospel, God wants us to prosper and be of good health. I believe that. I'm not afraid for asking God for more money if I need more money. I'm not afraid of asking God for more resource if I need more resource. He wants to bless me. I'm a child of the king. Do you understand? I don't get holy points by just begging for the crumbs that fall from the table. Somebody needs to hear that. But prosperity gospel, will take that to an extreme, and I'm not about it, okay? But there's another gospel that seems super holy over here, and there's not a a label attached to it. They they wouldn't even admit that they're a part of that framework, 
Um, and I'm not talking or preaching about that today, but I would call that the poverty gospel. It looks holy. It looks like, it looks like you're suffering for Jesus, but what, what you're really doing is limiting your potential to reach a world whose currency is money. Right? In the kingdom, the currency is faith, but to interact with the world, we have to have the world's currency. I'm just telling you that our faith and our prayers didn't pay the light bill this month at the Exchange Church. I asked Cheryl to call, and they rejected that form of payment. <laughs> so we can walk in faith, but we also have to leverage the world's economy so that we can interact and be an impact in the world. Amen? But the poverty gospel refuses to build wealth for their children, refuses to build wealth for their children's children. They're afraid of paying the money for life insurance or retirement or, you know, the, the nest egg that you need. Can I just tell you, all of that is biblical. Preparing for your future is absolutely biblical. The wise will lay up treasure for their children and their children's children. So poverty gospel, I'm not about that. Uh, either they they sometimes fail to save they're afraid of any hint of luxury and many times won't even meet the needs of their very own family because they will have this mentality of the money should have been given to the poor you remember hearing that in scripture from a man named judas when jesus was getting his feet washed with very expensive perfume oil he said the money should have been given to the poor. So I'm not, I'm not trying to get us all to be broke today. I'm not asking you to give 100% of your savings in today's offering. Uh, I'm not telling you to walk away from everything that you earn and, and just be broke for Jesus. That's, I'm not about the poverty gospel. I'm not about the prosperity gospel. I'm not about the poverty gospel. And to be honest, both extremes are rooted in pride. One wants you to see how rich I am. And the other wants you to see how selfless I am. I won't necessarily be addressing generosity from these vantage points. Uh, in fact, the Bible says an awful lot about money, about stewardship, that I won't be addressing in this series. Okay, I hope to communicate some. But my focus in this series is I want to dig into how God establishes legacy through his generosity. Generosity produces legacy. And if God wants to establish legacy on the earth, it begins with his generosity. God isn't generous, by the way, because something needs to get done. God doesn't decide, oh, we need, we need a work to be done in that city, so I'm going to be generous toward them. Something gets done because God is generous. We, we often we often think that our generosity flows out when something needs to get done. But all throughout scripture, we see that things are done because the people had already been generous. There are so many ways that God has been so good to us. He has been so generous to us. He um, holds nothing back. Generosity is his nature. And in generous presence, today's sermon, I want to convince you that he is not stingy with his presence. He is so generous, generous to the max with his presence. And I want to talk about that today because there are, uh, I think there are opportunities maybe that you and I miss in capturing 
his presence and recognizing his presence and recognizing his hand at work in our life. There are, there are three forms of presence that I want to share with you today. The first one is this, the omnipresence of God. The omnipresence of God. Go ahead and write that down in your notes. That just basically means that God is everywhere. Look at your neighbor and say, God is everywhere. That was weak. God is everywhere. Let's say it again. Yeah, that's a simple way to say omnipresence. God is everywhere. The Holy Spirit, by the way, is the personal presence of God. It covers the earth. You can't escape it. You can't hide from it. You can't outrun it. You can't go underneath your covers with your computer and do something that it doesn't see. Are you with me? You can't run away from the omnipresent spirit and presence of God. Okay, let's go to Psalm 139.7. It says, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? Where can I flee from your presence? That tells us the presence of God is over the entire earth. It's sent currently throughout the earth to convict the sinner and draw the world to repentance. Did you know while you and I are sitting here in the church house, the Holy Spirit is out there in the highways and the byways, and he is calling the sinner to the cross. He's, he's working. He's not sleeping in. He's not watching uh, in his pajamas, hoping that we just, you know, this is his hour break, so he gets to t- take, a, take a vacation. Are you with me? While we're here in worship, the Holy Spirit is out there doing his thing. The omnipresence of God is in the room with us. You're not getting gypped. But it's also out there doing what it's created to do, drawing people to repentance. However, when we talk about the presence of God, we're not just talking about somewhere out there. Okay, when I, when I say that God is generous with his presence, I'm not just talking about out there. The second type of presence is the inner presence of God. Everybody just take your... Take your fingers and just point to your chest bone right there. The inner presence of God. When the Spirit of God comes to live inside of us, there is a a different expression of the presence of God that comes over our life. Right? Both sinners and saints all over the world experience the omnipresence of God. But when you move from sinner to saint you encounter a different presence of God because he's generous that way. It's just next level. It's, it's beyond the omnipresence. It's now an inner presence. Jesus said to his disciples that he was with us, but Holy Spirit would be in us. The presence of God would be within us. John 16, 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Jesus is saying, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, which is the Holy Spirit, the personal presence of God, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Then 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? So we have the omnipresence of God. We've got the next level, inner presence of God. Are you following with me? 
Now, what is the purpose of this inner presence, you may ask? I'm glad that you asked. I happen to have the answer on my notes. The purpose of this inner presence is I've written down seven things, but there are many things. The first thing I want to share with you is it guides us into truth, wisdom, and revelation. Guides us into truth, wisdom, revelation. The second thing, it's our source of power. When you said yes to Jesus and the Holy Spirit went from out there to in here, you got plugged into a power source that you could not have tapped into on your own. The Holy Spirit, the presence of God that is inside of us, allows you and I to function in power. Number three, the Holy Spirit teaches and reminds us. He is the best teacher and the best reminder. Sometimes he reminds us of things that we don't want to be reminded of in the moment, right? But he is the best reminder. I got a a message from someone in the church this week, and they had been struggling uh, with, you know, just emotional issues and like anxiety and, and shortness of breath and, and heart racing issues. And this person texted me and said, then I heard your voice talking about the authority that I have in Jesus. And I had told a story recently of how I just kicked the devil out of my home. Anyone remember that story? I just kind of felt this blah stuff in the home, and I went through the house, and I'm yelling at the top of my lungs to something that I I can't even see the ears of, but I'm yelling, and I open the front door, and I kick it out of my home. Well, this person texts me and says, I did it. I I remembered the words that you were saying about our authority and kicking the devil out of the home, so he screamed all throughout his home. He kicked the devil out, and instantly he said he could breathe. His heart rate came down, and he is expecting to sleep better in the night. Yes, come on, come on, celebrate that. Here's the deal, though. I, I had given my testimony, but you know who reminded him of it? That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit inside of us to pick up the pieces, the little crumbs that have been dropped along the forest as we've been looking and, and, and planning our journey. And he says, go back to this little piece because you're going to need this one at just the right time. And that's exactly what happened in this situation. The presence of God inside of you will remind you what you need when you need it. Can I get a good amen? Number four, the Holy Spirit is a seal in the life of a believer. It's like the... the a legal signature of ownership. When you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, that means you are off limits to Satan. You belong to him. You are a son and a daughter of the king. Number five, it helps in our weakness and intercedes for us when we don't know how to pray. The Holy Spirit can do that. When you, don't, when you just feel blah and you don't even know why, if you just lay before the Lord or sit before the Lord or dance before the Lord or run before the Lord or shower before the Lord or drive before the Lord or fly before the Lord, whatever it is that you're doing, and you just allow him to speak through you, he will intercede on your behalf and he will approach the Father for things that you don't even know you need prayer for. Number six, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, the inner presence of God um, sanctifies us and enables us to bear good fruit. I, I put on my social media chat this week, uh, salvation will take the man out of Egypt, but sanctification will take Egypt out of the man. Holy Spirit will 
sanctify us. And it's a process, and it's, it's a journey. And it may take a while before the remnants of Egypt are out of my heart, but he will do it. And he will finish what he started. And then the seventh one I wrote down is he convicts of righteousness. He convicts us of righteousness. Now, what that really means is the fact that Jesus is invisible before our eyes. Uh, if we look back at Scripture when Jesus is talking to the disciples and he gives a job description of the Holy Spirit, one of them is to convict the world of sin. The other is to convict of righteousness. That means you and I. He convicts you and I to know that Jesus, who we cannot see, is real. And the righteousness that Jesus carries flows from him to us because we are sons and daughters. It is the Holy Spirit within us that causes a son to act like a son. Inner presence of God is awesome, but that's not what I want to talk to you about today. The, the third one, the critical one, is the manifest presence of God. Now, I, I know they're all critical, and I suppose you can't put one above the other, but the manifest presence of God is important, I think, because when Adam and Eve sinned, that's what we lost. We didn't lose the omnipresence of God. Because sin entered the world, God didn't suddenly bring in a spirit from around the world. The spirit that's hovering over the waters didn't so, suddenly roll back because of sin. Are you with me? God is still covers the earth even when sin entered. But what did shift is the manifest presence of God. What is the manifest presence of God? It's when he makes his presence known among us. It's, it's, I would call it like a goosebump moment. Anyone ever have a goosebump moment where you just feel the presence of God? Maybe your, the hair stands up. I shaved my neck this morning, so I won't have that today. But you feel the presence of God and the hair just stands up on the back of your neck. Or you, you ever felt God and you didn't know someone was watching and you do this little, ooh. You ever do that? And then you notice someone's watching and you're like, oh, it's cold in here. It wasn't cold. You felt the presence of God. Embrace it. That, that's a goosebump moment. It's when something settles in the room that is different than just the moment before. That is the manifest presence of God. There, was, there wasn't more of his presence on the earth before sin. God didn't become more omnipresent. There wasn't an extra dose of Holy Spirit within, God within, before sin. But, but what is different is the manifest presence of God. It's when his glory is released and revealed, and as a result, atmospheres shift. Physical elements transform because of the spiritual realm. It's the manifest presence of God when cancer dissipates. It is the manifest presence of God when broken bones are immediately healed. It is the manifest presence of God when depression runs from you. It is the manifest presence of God. Are you getting the drift? When there is a moment when suddenly something changes, you've encountered the manifest presence of God. Can we live continually in the manifest presence of God? That's the question I'm asking. You know, going from a goosebump moment to a goosebump year. From sunrise to sunset, can we encounter his manifest presence? I, I don't know the answer 
to that. I don't know if that's actually humanly possible or realistically sustainable, but I do imagine that I can encounter more of the manifest presence of God than I currently do. I, I may not be able to encounter that from sunrise to sunset, but I sure bet I can encounter it more than I currently do. How many of you are believing for more this morning, more of the manifest presence of God? So how did our interaction begin? How did our interaction with presence begin? I want to take you through that so we can understand that a bit today, how, how the generosity of his presence interacts with humanity. God started this whole thing in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. You remember they were walking in the cool of the day. His presence was there. He, God was walking with them. And what did we lose when Adam and Eve fell? Like I told you earlier, I believe that we lost the manifest presence of God. We lost it and Jesus came to reclaim it. That's one of the major things that the cross did for you and I. You and I can now encounter the manifest presence of God. It was lost, but now it's found. Genesis 3.8 gives us a great example of that. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Did you know that? Did you recognize that? Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they hid themselves from the presence of God. The presence of God. That thing that you and I long for, they hid. Because sin always causes us to try and hide from the presence of God. Even in a worship service like today, if you messed up this past week, maybe you messed up this morning on your way to church. Maybe getting your family out the door was enough to make you a sinner again. Maybe, you know what I mean? Like you just lost it and you just walk through the doors and you just feel so unworthy to be here and you feel like a, a hypocrite and for even worshiping. Well, I, I want you to understand that when you blow it, that's when you really, really need to worship God. The enemy wants you to think that you have to meet certain standards or qualities, but you can enter his presence boldly this morning, no matter what you did before you got here, no matter what you did last week, because it's not based on what you did or didn't do. It's based on what Jesus already did for us. In Genesis 3, they hid themselves from the presence of God. Look at your neighbor and say, no more hiding. No more hiding. Now, when they hid themselves from the presence of God, let's just take note for a moment that that was not the omnipresence of God. They were not hiding from the omnipresence of God. That would be impossible. Yes? Okay, so they were hiding from the manifest presence of God. His made known presence of God. God wanted to walk in the garden shed and make his presence known to them, and they hid. Another example in Scripture, God is talking to Moses in Exodus chapter 20. Chapter 20 oh my goodness. If there was a chapter 33, that's where it would be. But it's 33. Exodus 33, 14, 15, it says, And he said, this is God, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he, Moses, said to him, God. Moses said to God, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. That's not the omnipresence of God. 
Are you, you're tracking with me now, right? Like, I, I don't have to keep repeating this. Like, you're like, all right, pastor, I got it. These people that are, that, that are talking about presence that comes and goes, that's obviously not the omnipresence of God. That's another facet of his character. An example uh, of manifest presence, just to help you, help you grasp it. Let's say that in the room today, there's a, a billionaire in the room. There might be. There might be a billionaire in the room or, or a, a trillionaire or a squillionaire. I don't know, just a really, really rich person, okay? There's a billionaire in the room. And we just went through this service and you were in the presence of a billionaire whether you knew it or not. Okay, that's omnipresence. People all the time go throughout this life not recognizing the presence of God that covers the earth, but that doesn't mean he's not there. He's there. So a billionaire is in the room and you don't know it. That's omnipresence. But if that billionaire stands up and he says, I'm a billionaire and I want to give every one of you a million bucks, he would then be manifesting his presence. It would be a billionaire that is making himself known among us. Right. He was a billionaire before he stood up. That didn't change. What changed is this moment, this interaction where he wanted to manifest, make himself known among us. I'm going to pause just a moment to see if a billionaire wants to manifest his presence. <laughs> it's one thing to have him in the room. It's another thing completely to have him in the room and do something that no one else in the room can do. Now listen, I didn't come to ch- I love you so much, but I didn't come to church to get from you what you can do for me. I came to church this morning to petition the Lord to do for me what he can do for me in the midst of a corporate body of believers because when we come together to worship and we come together to pray and we come together to hear the word of God, there's something that shifts in the spirit realm and I want to be a part of that. Now yes, I want to see you and I want to hug you, and I want to high-five you, and you're valuable to me. But what makes us a church and not a country club is that we came here for a reason. We came here hungry, and we came here thirsty for the presence of God. And I want him to do something in the room that goes beyond what Trey can do, goes beyond what Carrie can do, or the worship team, or the greeters, or the camera people. Are you, are you with me? Like, we want more than what we can do together. So I'm out of time, but I'm going to quickly talk about two aspects of his manifest presence because I can't leave you here. I I want you to understand how to leave his manifest presence and how to enter his manifest presence. Um... And not that we can manipulate his presence, I need you to hear me, but we can understand it more. And, and so I want to talk about that today. I'm going to start with leaving his presence. How, how do we get out of his presence? How do we stop encountering the manifest presence of God? Some of you are sitting here today and you're saying to yourself, I've not felt goosebumps moments in 10 years. I, I can't even fathom what a goosebump year would look like. So how have we left the manifest presence of God? Think of Adam and Eve. They hid from the presence of the Lord. Then one chapter later, we see 
Cain murders his brother Abel. And notice what the Lord says in Genesis 4.16. It says, Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod. It's a town where everyone's sleepy. In the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Then Jonah chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. We see another example of running from the presence or leaving the presence of the Lord. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee from Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. I, I don't know. I, I, did, I never really noticed that Jonah was fleeing from the presence. I thought he was just disobeying and just running from, you know, the instruction. But the Bible says when Jonah fled, he was actually running away from the presence of the Lord. So that, to me, takes it to a whole nother level. Like he wasn't just disobeying one time. He was actually stepping outside of the presence of God. So how does that how does that happen? He's fleeing the presence of the Lord. He's not fleeing the omnipresence of the Lord. He's fleeing the manifest presence of the Lord. So how do we leave the manifest presence of the Lord? Simple. You want to keep from stepping away from it? The answer is simple. Just do what the Lord tells you to do. He told Adam and Eve not to eat from the tree, and they did. They hid themselves from the presence. He told Cain to deal with his attitude. Let's go check. He told Cain to deal with his attitude about God accepting Abel's offering and not Cain's. He didn't deal with his attitude. So the Bible says he fleed from the presence of the Lord. He tells Jonah to go to Nineveh. He didn't do it. He left the presence of the Lord. One of the biggest lies in modern Christianity is that obeying the word of God is legalistic. Even the word of the word obedience for some of us can produce this kind of guttural response. You know, it's like this bad connotation. I, I know some of us, the, the word obedience was used against us as a kid in a very unhealthy way. So we don't want to talk about obeying the word. That's That's just too legalistic. Let's just... Let's talk more about inclusion, accepting everyone and every, every way to God. Let's just, let's just be nice. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. God is, God is love. So let's just talk about love nonstop. Did you know, actually, side note, that God is described more in Scripture as holy than he is love? Obedience. Obedience is important. And coincidentally, I didn't plan it this way, but in children's ministry today, they're talking about trust and obey. Trust and obey. What if I told you that in the lesson, to make it more relevant to today's culture and to your family, um, that we taught your kid today that they should only obey you when it feels good, only obey you when it aligns with their worldview, and only obey you when it's convenient to their piggy bank. Don't worry. We're also letting little Johnny know that even if they don't obey you, that's okay because you know their heart. 
We think obedience is legalistic when it applies to us and God, but when it applies to us and our kids, we understand the value of obedience. Obedience keeps you from burning your hand on the stove. Obedience keeps your kid alive. We, we understand the value of obedience between an employee and an employer. Obedience allows the bottom line to keep your job going. So now that you've heard him, and, and maybe I should just take the word obedience off in case that's offensive to you, and just say this, do what he says. Whatever the Lord tells you to do, just do what he says, and it will go well with you. Now that you've heard from him, what are you going to do? Let's say that God spoke to you last year about tithing, two years, three years ago, whatever. When you became a Christian, you were all in. God spoke to you about tithing and somehow that slipped away. Are you living in the fullness of the presence of God? What about if God told you to end a relationship and you're, and you're scared to put an end to that, you're concerned to put an end to that, you continue to be the doormat or you continue to offer whatever it is that you're offering and God has told you to end that relationship, are you really living in the fullness of his presence? I would say no. If there's any indication from scripture time and time and time again of people who didn't obey simply what the Lord told them to do, they fled from his presence, not into it. God told you to witness to someone and you didn't do it. Are you living in his presence? Have you ever disobeyed that, by the way? God instructed you to witness to someone and you didn't do it. It feels awful, doesn't it? I actually this week, I felt like the Lord had told me to witness to someone. I was picking up food at this amazing Venezuelan place. And if you want to take me there, I'm cool with that. But I'm picking up the food, and I felt like the Lord told me to witness to the lady who was giving me my order and, and just ask her, you know, if she believed in Jesus or she's what, whatever. I don't remember how I phrased it. Oh, yeah, I do. And, and so I'm kind of arguing with God. She's getting my stuff together. And, you know, I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor. I'm pretty bold when it comes to Jesus, to be honest. But um, I'm arguing. And I'm like, God, I'm just really hungry. And I don't, she's really busy, and she's running around. And this whole mask thing makes it just really weird, like, Jesus, you know, like, it's just weird. And he kept, you know, whether it was him or the spirit within me, I don't know. But I thought to myself, if I don't do this, I've lived long enough and I've refused long enough to know just how miserable I'm going to be the moment I walk outside of this door. So I looked at her and I said, excuse me, ma'am, I have one last question for you, which didn't make any sense because I hadn't asked her any questions. I have one last question for you. And she said, yes. I said, are you a believer in Jesus? And without a, missing a beat, she looks at me and she goes, yes, of course. And I thought, wow, that was way easier than I thought. This, this nudge wasn't even for you. It was for me. And I leave that place thinking about that encounter and just how she was so adamant of, of, of course I'm a believer of Jesus. Who wouldn't be? I started replaying my attitude the last several days. And now I had been projecting on the world this doom and gloom of where are all the Christians at? Where are all the people at who love Jesus, who love righteousness, who love holiness, who love the down and out, but also stand for 
for all of God's precepts. Where are these people? You know, I'm, I'm, you know how you argue with God like, how come I'm the only one? And it's really awful to say that. But in that moment, he reminded me, you're not the only one. But you know why I did that? Because I've not done it enough to know that I was going to be miserable if I didn't obey what the Holy Spirit had told me to do. And by the way, just to help you understand, when you are miserable because you've disobeyed in those moments when you've not witnessed to someone, God's not punishing you. What's happening is the spirit within you is grieving and mourning the loss of what could have been a manifestation of the presence of God. Now I'm talking about willful disobedience, not mistakes. We're all human today. We all make mistakes. But when we willfully choose to disobey the Lord, we step out of his presence. Okay, let me get to the good news and then I'm done. How do you enter his presence? That's what we want to know today. How do you enter his presence? We enter his presence with worship. Psalm 95, one through two. I'm gonna read this as our worship team is coming up here today. It says, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. It says, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Did you know that gratitude opens the way for manifest presence of God? When you are grateful for the things in your world and in your life, it allows the Lord to step into areas and you, you sense his presence to a greater degree. When we complain, when we murmur, when we talk over and over and over about all of the bad things in our life, we are tying, literally tying the presence of God, his hands behind his back and preventing him from encountering us in that season of our life. Psalm 100, verse 1 through 2 says, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you hands serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. A life of worship is more than praise and worship music or singing and clapping. But a life of worship can't exist without that. I want you to stand to your feet this morning. I want to sing a final moment of worship because we now understand that gratitude and worship allows the manifest presence of God to work in our life. Now this, this isn't an opportunity for me to make anyone feel bad for missing worship, coming in late and missing worship. I'm not trying to make anyone at home feel bad if you watched the worship set when church started and you sat on your couch and didn't lift your hands and didn't sing. That's not my goal today. But let's be honest, our level of worship engagement will always determine the degree that we encounter the manifest presence of God. I need to say that again today because many of us are dry and thirsty, not because God's not willing to pour himself out. We're dry and thirsty all across the world because we don't understand that gratitude and worship quite literally shifts the atmosphere. It allows God to do for you what you couldn't do for yourself to transition this moment and make it different from the moment before. So I want us to worship today.
in this final song, I want you to really open up your heart to be grateful for all that you have, all that he's done for you. Be grateful for who he is. Listen, I'll tell you this. The presence of God doesn't make everything uh, in your life be good, right? You will still encounter bad things along the way. Worship doesn't make things, bad things go away. I will have days, Kathy, where I am just, you know, worshiping at my home and or in my office. And every time I speak that day or, you know, it, it just flows off my tongue and I say the right words or I get the right parking spot. You know what I mean? Or I walk up to the store and they're like, oh, you get 20% off. And I'm like, thank you, God, for your favor. And I've been in this moment of worship and I just feel like, man, I'm just rolling. You know, it's great. Thing, things are great. But then there are moments and days where I've invested the same worship and anything that could go wrong has gone wrong. Some of you are like, that's been my year, right? But here's what is different. When I worship, regardless of the circumstance, I know that I can walk in peace and joy and provision for every need that I have. So today, place your hand over your heart. And I want you to just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you today what he's trying to say to you through this message. Have you been running from the presence of God? Is there something you need to obey the Lord on? Have you been forgetting to worship, not stepping into the manifest presence of God? Maybe you've not had expectations of meeting God. Maybe you've had expectations of just getting through the day. Holy Spirit, reveal it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's worship. to be